The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The journey of consecration. Lord, I ask that you would make plain to us what this journey is that we might successfully complete it. For, Lord, you said that many would come saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And you said, depart from me. I don't know you. Lord, you said the the road was narrow. Almighty God, I ask today that this fellowship would complete the journey of consecration. I pray in your name. Amen. Psalm 84, beginning in verse 5. This journey of consecration is one that you may begin unconsciously or consciously. But at some point, it will become a very conscious journey. I pray for all of you, it has already become very conscious. Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Have any of you been bumping from defeat to defeat, crisis to crisis, agony of heart to agony of heart. God calls for a people who will go on pilgrimage. And when you go on pilgrimage, the first stop is the valley of weeping. Many flee from that valley of weeping and go back to their homeland. And they abort the journey of consecration. If we stay in the valley of weeping, after a time, this dry desert will begin to turn into a lush garden. Our tastes change, our perceptions change, our values change, everything is transformed in our lives. And and suddenly, the word of God that was so much like cardboard becomes alive in our mouth and in our heart, and we begin to enjoy it. In fact, it begins to consume our lives. It becomes the joy of our heart to go in and sit before the Lord. I tell you, this morning, as soon as I had my eyes open, I heard the Lord calling, come and sit before me. To go into the Lord's presence and just sit in his presence and let him speak to you and order your steps is a glorious, glorious adventure. It's a journey of consecration. Now, the journey of consecration takes place in an individual's life and then in a family's life. 
and then in a church's life. Are you walking with your church? You know what ecclesia means, the called out ones. Are you walking with the called out ones and are you conscious of the journey of consecration? Then a neighborhood begins a journey of consecration. A city begins a journey of consecration. And a nation begins a journey of consecration. And America was begun on a journey of consecration. And it's time the nation was called back to complete that journey. But the nation will not be called back until you and I are called back. It starts with a person, with a people, with a city. Not with political action, but with moral action. By the power of the Spirit. So let me begin to walk with you now through the journey of consecration one man took. I'm going to share this journey with you because it so exemplifies the journey that you and I are called on. And I hope by watching and observing the way this man walked this journey of consecration, we'll learn from his mistakes and we'll be moved by his victories. I take this journey of consecration not to be defeated, but to be consecrated. And you'll discover in the story I'm going to share with you, some of us do it the hard way. There is an easy way but most always we prefer the hard way. We begin the journey of consecration and then we flee into our desires. And out of the brokenness of fleeing into our desires, our feet are set once more on the path of holiness because frankly, there isn't any other way to walk and survive. I recognize that many of you are not here by choice. You were not granted a choice. You're not here because you like vanilla ice cream instead of strawberry ice cream. This is not another store on the block selling wares. This is a place of death and of resurrection. It's a place where we are walking consciously and deliberately the path of consecration to Jesus Christ. And our intent is to be quite offensive about it. Offending on the left and on the right that some might be saved. And so let's go to the scriptures. We pick the story up in the book of Genesis. God calls after a man by the name of Jacob. The word Jacob means heel grabber. In other words, he's always trying to catch up with those around him. He wants to sell as much as they sell. He wants to buy as much as they buy. He wants to do as much as they do. He's got to be somehow important enough to be like everybody else. He knows what he wants, and he's about trying to get it. And it's in the midst of this heel grabbing, it's in the midst of this lying and cheating and stealing that God says, okay, I've had enough, I'm going to grab you. 
Now, just let's be very clear. The journey of consecration doesn't happen because I reach out and grab God. Oh, come on. The journey is begun because God reaches out and grabs me. And some of you are squirming because he has to hold on to you so tight. It hurts. But if he lessened his grip, you'd run. Genesis, the 28th chapter. Jacob is being sent away from home. He is leaving to walk through the desert to find a wife. Those are always good motivators. Verse 3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you've become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. He sent him on his way with no camels, with no transportation, with no money, with nothing. He sent him out. Now, hear me, please. When you begin the journey of consecration, you're always going to be sent out into the desert. And when you go on pilgrimage, when you begin this journey toward consecration, you're going to have to be willing to enter into the desert. And you're going to have to let some things be stripped away from your life. Some of those favorite activities are going to have to go. Even some of those favorite religious activities are going to have to go. Because what they do is salve you over so that you don't have to deal with the real condition of your heart or the real condition of your family or the real condition of your children, and yet you can be very religious. And it's that kind of religion that the Lord God of heaven says, cut it off. Don't walk in it. Because it's a mask for our sin. And so... Jacob now walks into the desert. He finally walks until he's exhausted. And the sun goes down. And he has no camp equipment with him. All he can do is find a stone that looks like a pillow. Probably wrapping one of his garments around that stone, he lays down on the desert floor in the dirt. This is a rich boy. His daddy is worth a million dollars. But money doesn't buy consecration. So here he is laying in the desert when he could be at home in his daddy's tent. And frankly, some of you could be somewhere else. You have many choices. You don't have to be at the National Prayer Chapel laying your head down on a stone, bare without the pleasing strains of the orchestra. But we've chosen a pilgrimage of consecration to get at the truth. And so we're here with our head on the stone. Now, always when we make that decision and we lay aside those things that comfort us, say that again, when we lay aside those things that comfort us in our pursuit of God, we'll lay our head down on the stone. And I'm sure as he was falling asleep with his head on the stone, he was saying, what am I doing out here?
Well, let's just do a flashback. He's out there because his brother said, I'm going to kill you. So the truth is he's out there because he's running from his wicked brother. So let's just be clear. None of us are going to go in the desert and lay our head down on a stone if there isn't something chasing us. What's chasing you? Because until you're clear about what's chasing you, you might decide it's safe to return to the old sin. But once you really know that that old sin will kill you, that it wants your life, you're not going to turn back from the desert pilgrimage. When you know if you go back to that comfortable pillow and daddy's tent, you will be seduced back into hell. You're not going back. He lays his head down on the stone and he's asleep. And suddenly in verse 12, Genesis 28, verse 12, he has a dream. The revelation of God will not come until you're out there in that desert with your head on a stone. And some of you have said to me, Pastor, why don't I hear from God? Because your head's not on a stone yet. Pastor, why does God talk to you and he doesn't talk to me? Because my head is on the stone. I've walked in the wilderness. I've forsaken the things that gave me comfort. I have turned to the Lord God of heaven. That's when he speaks to you. He had a dream. He saw a stairway, a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out into the west and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you for your offspring. And I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back into this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Now the only thing that will sustain you in the journey of consecration are the promises of God. That's all you have to hold on to. You're not going to be able to hold on to my coattails. I'm not going to be able to call you every week and say, oh, now, dear brother, how are you doing? (laughs) Now, come on, don't grow discouraged. Come hang on to my coattails and I'll pull you through. Not going to be that way. You're going to have to hear the promises of God for yourself and you're going to have to stand on your own two feet and say, I'm going to go through no matter what it costs me. I'm going to go to Jesus. And the only way you'll be able to do that, the only way you'll have the courage to do that is a revelation from God. And if you have no revelation from God today, I urge you, get your head on a stone pillow. Cut off those things of the flesh that give you comfort, whether it's false religion or if it's a love of the world. Cut it off and get your head on that stone and begin to read the word and let him bring to your heart a revelation of his glory. Then you'll have the courage to go the distance, to be consecrated. I mean, who is this young man laying there? He's a 
He's a young man with a lot of love for God and a lot of love for money. He's a young man with his life ahead of him, expecting the very best. And he'll lie or steal or cheat to get it. Frankly, he is a bum. He's a no good. He's you and me. And now here he is. God's talking to him. Jesus referred to this same stairway, and he said, I'm the stairway. Jacob wakes up from his sleep, and he looks around. He's terrified. He says, this is the house of God. This must be where God lives. So he took the stone that he'd used for a pillow, and now he sets it upright, and he pours oil over it. And he says, this is the house of God, and he's terrified. When God begins to give you revelation of who he is, your response is going to be terror. Because you'll see how unlike him you are. And you begin to cry out to him. But that's further down the road of consecration. Look at what Jacob does. Now Jacob, this is Genesis 28, verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking, what, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't the God of heaven appear to this man and say, I will be with you. And now he comes back and says, if God will be with me. I would say we have here a small degree of unbelief. And if he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. In other words, if the Lord does not give him the food he desires and the clothes that he desires, then God will not be his God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay, God, here's the deal. I'll be big hearted. I'll give you 10% of everything you give me. But you have to give me all my clothes and all my food. You've got to do what I want you to do. And if you do what I want you to do, then I'll claim you as my God. So here's the deal, God. I've got this little lamp. And every time I rub it, you be the genie that shows up for me. And by the way, God, I'm going to only rub it when I get in trouble. I expect you to come and meet my needs, God. Now, please hear me. I don't make fun of him. All of us start the journey of consecration this way. We lay our head down on that stone and all the feelings of pity that wash over us. How could God treat me this way? What have I done to deserve this terrible treatment at the hand of God? Oh, God, have I not served you? How can you treat me this way? If you're a God of love, how can you treat me this way? So now you get a revelation of God. And you say, oh, I'm so glad you revealed yourself to me. Now, God, do my deal. I'll walk with you and I'll serve you, but you serve me. You pay my way. You give me the job I want. You give me the family I want. You give me the recognition and the power that I want. You give me the position I want. 
And then, God, I'm going to claim you, and I'll give you thanks, and I'll honor your name. The reason consecration is so vital to our lives is that every one of these deals with God has to be exposed and cast down. I say it again. The reason the journey of consecration is so vital is that every one of these deals with God has to be exposed and cast down. God is not here to do my deal. He's already done that on the cross. He poured his life out on the cross. He doesn't need to prove anything to me or to you. Now the question is, will I give myself over to him wholly and completely? Or will I have my little deal going? Consecration means I turn to the Lord God of heaven and I say all that I am and all that I have, I give into your hand. I, I possess nothing for myself. I retain nothing for myself. I give everything into your hand. You will be the one who orders my steps. You are the master and I am the servant. And now what would you have me to do, Lord? Where would you have me go? When would you have me go? And how would you have me go? I serve you alone, Lord Jesus. And so a family engagement comes, Lord. What would you have me to do? And he said, I came to separate a brother, a father, a mother. I came to separate. That sword of the Lord Jesus comes down and cuts that out. And you say, not going to happen in my family. My family comes before Jesus. My job comes before Jesus. My health comes before Jesus. My needs come before Jesus. My finances come before yours, Jesus. I'll pay the bills, and if I have some left, I'll kick it your way. I'll cover the 10%. You take care of me. Don't ask me, Jesus, to go the extra mile. He says, take some more pillow rock time. See what I mean about the easy way or the hard way? So here he is. He's made his deal with God. And what's very interesting to me is that God doesn't speak. God didn't sign up with him on this deal. But God said, okay, you made the deal. Let's let Uncle Laban deal with you, young man. So off he goes to his Uncle Laban's house. He arrives and he, he sees there are flocks of sheep gathered and there's a huge heavy stone blocking the way for the water. And he asks them, why are you here at this time? Why don't you just get this stone out of the way? He said, oh, we have to wait until we're all gathered. Then all of us together will take a hold of the stone and move it. So he asks about Uncle Laban. Oh, yes, Uncle Laban's here. In fact, that's his daughter, the shepherdess. She's coming with his flock right now. He takes one look at this beautiful woman. And he is totally smitten. And he says, this is the one for me. I mean, he goes over and this big manly guy just shoves that stone out of the way in his adder. I mean, he's the man. 
<laughs> then he goes to her and he plants a kiss on her. He is totally smitten. And then he begins to weep because now he's finally at home again. No more stone pillow time. His brother can't kill him here. He's got family again. The shame of what he did with Esau is wiped away. He's now forgiven and free. And he's now ready to begin his wonderful family life with Uncle Laban. Well, Uncle Laban says, you know, you're flesh of my flesh. Hey, I love you. We're one. You don't need to work for me free. Let's work out a deal. How much money do you want? He's a bright young man. He says, I'll work for you seven years for Rachel. Now, did he go to the prayer closet and say, Lord, what wife would you choose for me? No, 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 no. He sees that she is lovely of form, the scriptures say. In our language, we'd say well endowed. <laughs> and the hormones are pumping. God has not chosen her to be his wife. God has chosen this other little gal over here who has bad eyes and probably no hips. <laughs> and her name's Leah. He doesn't even have time to look at her. He's a man about town. And so he begins to work for Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban is a slave driver. I mean, this young man has never been disciplined in his life. And now if an animal comes and steals one of the sheep, he pays for it. Uncle Laban doesn't cut him one inch of slack. He is held accountable for every lost or wrong move. Now, I have to tell you, Every one of us need an Uncle Laban on the journey of consecration. And the Lord seems to bring these Uncle Labans into our lives in the most unexpected manner. He can use our family. He can use our boss. He can use our wife or our husband. He can use your health. He can use your finances. Where there's just not any slack going to be cut for you. You're expected to perform on time. There is discipline. And of course, most who go on the journey of consecration are spoiled rotten. They've had their way. They could go where they wanted, when they wanted, the way they wanted. I mean, if Jacob was upset, he could go jump on one of daddy's camels and go racing out and leave the dust behind. Now... He can't just go jump on a camel and split the camp. He's under discipline. If he does, he'll lose his beloved. And so he's disciplined for seven years. And at the end of seven years, there is a wedding celebration. And he gets probably very drunk. And he goes into his beloved Rachel. And when he awakens in the morning, it's Leah. And he is mad. 
God loves to use Leah's in our life. He loves to use stone pillows. He loves to use Uncle Laban's. And he loves to use Leah's. And we are wed. And of course, Uncle Laban says, hey, I had to do it that way. What else could I do? She's the oldest. I can't marry the younger before the older would insult my daughter. But I'll tell you what, you work for me another seven years, I'll give you Rachel. And you can have her in advance. You can take her on credit. I mean, can you believe Jacob buys a wife with Visa? He's upside down. She's not worth seven years, but that's what he pays. What I want you to see is that as God begins to work in the heart and life of a man or woman, we can't judge by whether they show up here and sit Sunday after Sunday what God is doing. Some of the most profound moves of God have been when a person hasn't even come to this church because they're mad at me. And then God moves in their life and he brings such a revelation that there's healing in their heart. What I want you to see today is that God is in charge of the journey of consecration. Jacob was not in charge. God was in charge. He thought he made a deal with God. God had already made the deal with him. And there was no clause on the bottom. And the deal was this, you're mine. I'm going to do with you what I want to do with you. And if you don't submit the easy way, you will submit with beatings. And he got pretty well beat up. After 14 years of working for nothing, he's finally saying, what am I going to do to get something for myself? Look how long I've worked for Uncle Laban and I have nothing to show for it. Do you know how many years Jeremiah spoke to Israel and at the end of his ministry, he was taken out in chains. And the commander of the army had to come and find him. The Babylonian heathen came and found him and released him from those chains. And then he still thought he could preach a word. Do you remember the promise that was made to Jeremiah? You're going to tear down. And you're going to plant and build up. He's now spent over 20 years of his ministry tearing down. And now they say, the Babylonians, go wherever you want to go. The land is open before you. Well, where does he want to go? He wants to go to the little remnant of people who are still in Jerusalem. That's his heart. And they come to him and they say, Jeremiah. Will you go to the Lord and faithfully report to us everything that the Lord says to you? And we will do whatever the Lord says we're supposed to do. He says, okay. He goes to the Lord and it takes a week for the Lord to speak. And the Lord said, you tell them, do not go to Egypt and I will bless them. Tell them that if they go to Egypt, I'm going to destroy them. 
He tells them. And they say, you're lying to us. We're going to go to Egypt anyway. Now, the very remnant of God's people are headed to Egypt, and he goes with them. And in Egypt, he continues to prophesy. Now, we lose track of what happened with Jeremiah in the scriptures at that point. And some traditions tell us that Jeremiah was stoned to death by these people. I don't believe that. The reason I don't believe that is if you go to Ireland, you find another story. And that is you find a story of an old man, a prophet of God, who shows up in Ireland and teaches them a way of holiness. And more kids are named Jeremiah than you can shake a stick at in Ireland. And many believe that he then traveled into Europe proclaiming the name of the Lord to the pagans and to the heathen, building up and planting, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus to come and for the gospel of Christ those many years later. Here's Jacob. He's got his beloved now. They're married. He's wondering, how do I make some money now for myself? And his wives are fighting over who gets him at night. There's no peace in the family. There's bitterness and anger and rancor. One wife paying the other for a night. And then that woman gets pregnant. I mean, there's a battle going on. And in and through all of this bitter battle, God is bringing forth 12, 12 men. And then we find Jacob, now rich, blessed in livestock. And he decides to head home for daddy. And he has a divine revelation. And that divine revelation says, go and I will be with you. We still find Jacob is trying to do it his way. He heads home. And as he heads home, word comes that his brother is approaching with 400 armed soldiers. And he knows that this is the end. He has no ability to defend his children or his flocks. He has no ability to defend himself. It is over. His brother Esau is now finally going to kill him. Now, let me stop quickly. When you begin this journey of consecration, you're going to make decisions that will obviously be out of the flesh, and God will discipline you for that. But he hasn't cast you aside. Is that good news? Instead, he picks you up with the decisions you've made, and he keeps you moving toward that final place of consecration. You've got to remember God's goal is not the same as your goal. Your goal may be, let me get ahead and take care of my family. Your goal may be, let me accomplish something great for God. Your goal may be, you know, let me just have a few hours of peace and comfort. Whatever your goal is, it's going to be separate from the goal of God because God's goal is that you just go ahead and die out and let him take over. The flesh is not going to ever agree with that. 
The flesh is not going to give up without a fight. I have never seen a person in the flesh just roll over and play dead and say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. I've never seen it. The pig nature doesn't die without squealing. As a kid, I used to go to the neighbors every fall where they would butcher their pigs. I've never seen an animal die harder than a pig. I've never seen an animal die harder than a man or woman fighting the power of the Holy Spirit. Tenacious, determined, bitter. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I'll serve Jesus. But you let me love Jesus and serve Jesus in my flesh. You'd be amazed at how well I can dress this flesh up. Man, I can slick this flesh up real good. And I'll behave. I'll act right. I won't embarrass you. Just let this flesh have its way. You can civilize this flesh. And the Lord God of heaven says, no, I can't. I can't give you some repairs for your heart. I have to pull the heart out of your body and give you a new heart. Well, that's going to kill me. Well, yes, that's the point. You can't be born again until you've died. I see people walking around saying, I'm born again. But they've never died. They haven't been born again. They've just been spray painted. And the flesh is all dressed up in Christian clothes. And did you know the flesh loves to go to church? And the flesh loves to prophesy? Oh, man, can the flesh come up with some words of the Lord God of heaven? The flesh is just so slick at this deal of being religious. Do you know the favorite place in all the world for the flesh to hide? In a holiness church. Okay, we've got Jacob. And he's saying, okay, what, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, what are my resources? What can I do here? Maybe I can buy them off. Maybe, oh, I got it. Separate out these lambs and have a herder take this, these lambs and then follow that with some rams and then follow that with some donkeys. And every time this, this drove of animals comes up, Say to my brother Esau, this is a gift from your brother. You're, you're the master. You're my Lord. We'll buy him off. Hey, I've got plenty of sheep. I've got plenty of livestock. He's going to love this. So then he changes the position of his family, and he, he determines who's most important to him. He's, he's determined who in his family he's willing to let die first. <laughs> Go on, Leah, get up there in the front. Come on, Rachel, back here in the back. Never mind that Rachel has the eyes and Leah can't see. Now watch what happens. Here comes Esau. Jacob has divided the peoples. Then Jacob prays. Chapter 32, verse 9. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Oh, Lord, in other words, my God, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives. I'll make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and the faithfulness you've shown your servant. Hey, we're seeing here the first gleams of gold shining through Jacob. 
there's been a small measure of consecration that's, in, that's been going on through the discipline of the years with Uncle Laban. Do you know how I rejoice when I see the gleaming of consecration beginning to shine through your flesh? God's doing that. Lord, increase their tribulation. <laughs> Grab them, God. <laughs> Apply that whip. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. Verse 24, Jacob is left alone. I don't know how to tell you this. Jacob had an enemy, but his enemy was not his brother Esau. His enemy was God. Here he is. He's trying to pray. And suddenly in the dark, he hears a man coming. And he knows it's his brother Esau coming to kill him. He doesn't know how his brothers discovered his camp. He thought he was hidden away. But now his brother Esau is coming to kill him. And this man grabs him. And he fights. And he's a powerful man. And he fights bitterly, punching, kicking, gouging, wrestling. And they fight all night long. And he thinks it's Esau. But it's not Esau, it's God. You think you have an enemy? It's not who you think. God's after you. And when you get on your knees to pray, watch out or he might grab you because he intends to break that final rebellion in your heart and turn you into something different. Oh, we're so sentimental about God. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And oh, he does love me. He loves me enough to be my enemy. Because if he is not an enemy of my flesh, I'll go to hell. I believe that you have the ability innate within you, planted by the Holy Spirit, to choose to give up your flesh. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. In other words, we are not going to be totally captive to the lies of Satan. We are going to have the ability to fight back. Most of us have chosen to fight Jesus. Today I'm telling you, you have the ability and the power to fight against the flesh and to join with Jesus in the killing of that flesh, the killing of that rebellion, the killing of that lust, the killing of that bitterness, the killing of all that is in you that is of darkness, to turn unto the Lord Jesus and have victory. But for most of us, that victory does not come until there's been a night of struggle. Have you spent a night in struggle with Jesus? Has he grabbed a hold of you? And you have gone blow to blow, struggling, because you want to keep your life 
and have Jesus too. Some of these things can only be settled in a fight. We'll never give up without a fight. The fact that you're here says God called you to engage in this consecration battle. It's for your very soul. You can't go the way of the world and the way of Jesus. You can't live a normal American life and have Jesus. You can't do the normal thing with your finances and have Jesus. It can't happen. You've got to cross the bar. Here's Jacob struggling, fighting. Verse 25, this is chapter 32, verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. Now, please understand what God did here. He's been fighting with Jacob, trying not to hurt him, trying to just keep him off. But Jacob is fighting. He's like a wild animal. Look, I tell you right now, if you come and start dealing with the sin in your life, you will discover a raging beast will arise out of your heart. If that pastor thinks I'm going to come and walk consecration, he's crazy. I can go to another church and I can have church and Jesus in my life too. I may not see some of you again. I can guarantee you God will see you again. You can run from the National Prayer Chapel. You can't run from God. At the most unexpected time, he's going to wrap his arms around you and get you in a chokehold. Now understand, God has now touched him and disabled him, and now God is leaving him. And God leaves some people damaged and lost because in the fight, they didn't want to leave their sin. But Jacob had a different heart, and this is the heart of the story. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I am in a tremendous fight with God right now in my life. And he has touched my hip, and I walk with a limp. But I'm saying to him, oh God, I won't let you go till you bless me with the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Until you bless me with revival fire, I won't let you go. Until I am changed into your likeness, I will not let you go. And what used to be my energy cast into fighting against the loss of my flesh, I now have cast that same energy into the fight, saying, oh God, bless me. I'm not going to make it if you don't bless me. I can't survive out in this desert if you don't bless me. You've taken me out here in this desert, and I will die in this desert if you don't bless me. I have to have your blessing. It's no longer optional. It's no longer, hey, we have this beautiful cake. Ray, would you like a piece of cake and, and some ice cream? Oh, no, I don't think I want that now. I'm going to die if I don't get the fullness of the Holy Ghost in my heart. If I don't have the fire revival, I'm going to die. I can't walk anymore fighting against the world without any power. I have to have the power of the blessing of God on my life. 
without it. How will the world know the difference between the National Prayer Chapel and every other church? If we don't have the anointing of God, I don't want music. I don't want preaching. I don't want anything but the power of God. I want you to be able to go home from a service at the National Prayer Chapel and have received the sign gift of the Holy Ghost, which is conviction of your sin that will head you down the same road of consecration he's taken me down. If that doesn't happen, I don't want to preach again. If I don't have his blessing, I'm going to die. So Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And he hung on to him. And the man said, what is your name? Jacob. What is your name? I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. What is your name? I'm a loser. What is your name? I can't do anything. Oh, he's saying, will you confess your name? Will you confess the sins that you've committed? You can't get the blessing of God without the confession of who you are. God, I've tried everything I know and I can't do it. God, I've come to an utter end of myself. God, I'm tired of trying. I'm worn out. I'm beat up. I can't take another step without your power and your authority flowing in my life. God, I can't make it without you. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. In other words, with the blessing of God comes the victory over sin. With the blessing of God comes victory. Israel means overcomer. Overcoming only comes by the power of the Spirit. So with the name Israel comes the anointing of God's Spirit. Jacob will never be anointed by the Spirit of the living God. He can be anointed by many spirits. You understand, there are many spirits today. But the spirit of holiness, the spirit of repentance, the spirit of obedience, that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob says, please tell me your name. He replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Do you know why he couldn't tell him his name? It wasn't time yet. His name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. And it wasn't time yet for the revelation of Jesus to be poured out. That would wait for now some hundreds of years until Isaiah came. And then finally Isaiah would be given the revelation of Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace. You and I have the revelation of Jesus. We know him. Has he met you in this struggle yet? Have you blown him off or have you finished the fight? Are you still with Uncle Laban? Are you still in the desert putting your head on a pillow? I'd urge you to bypass Uncle Laban. Just go straight to Jesus and get this fight settled. Help thine own way, Lord. Help thine own way. the potter I am the clay mold me and make 
while I am waiting, yielded and still. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. God bless you. We love you. Before the presence of his glory.